Hey everybody, this is Brent Ingersoll and you are listening to the Speaking Of podcast. Today I sit down with the president of Kingswood University where I went to school to learn to be a pastor and develop in theology and pastoral ministry and leadership and all that stuff. And Steve is the president of Kingswood University. And I sit down to talk to him right after he did a session for our staff team here at King's Church all about the Bible. And I talked to him about the Bible, about biblical literacy and conversations surrounding how to approach the Word of God. It was so good and so refreshing. I really think you're going to enjoy it. This is my conversation with Steve Lennox. Welcome, President, Dr., uh, Reverend, Brother, Steve. <laughs> Uh, thank you for jumping on the podcast. Uh, as of the time of this recording, uh, we just, you're, you know, and God bless you, sir, for jumping right out of a 90-minute teaching session into a, you know, we'll, we'll try to keep this as concise as we can, but into a podcast. I know uh, how tired I am after teaching, so mm. um, I'll hopefully lob you some stuff that I'm very interested to hear from you, but you were just uh, with our staff, the whole King's Church staff, and uh spoke about like the grand story of the Bible and just, it was a huge blessing for us. Mm -hmm. And I'm very thankful, uh, for the time you took today. Um, you know, thankful for your ministry and your life aside, that was a huge deposit in us. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was interesting as I was listening and kind of watching, you know, I don't know how many people were there, 25 or 30 or so. Um, you know, you had, people like Pastor John Simons, who has been in ministry for decades. And then you've got some guys that are like, you know, brand new, mm. like they're even new following Jesus and they're mm. getting caught up in this ministry call thing. And mm. it was just cool to hear the story of God explained in such a engaging and insightful way. And just like so many, I could hear so many ahas, but they were like heart level ahas, you know, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I wanted to talk to you while I had you here. I've got some notes in front of me that I'm trying to like keep keep straight because I don't want to go too far off into the weeds. I know we could probably nerd out on some stuff that maybe our listeners won't find as helpful as mm -hmm. we'll find fun. Um, but I want I want to just have a bit of a conversation about the Bible, about Scripture. I think we are in a time where in the culture there's a lot of... Um, not just confusion, but now I would say that confusion has led into criticism of the scripture in like some actual unfair ways that are, you know, not accurate to what the scripture yeah. is or what it's actually saying. Um, but my bigger concern is on the confusion in the church. Mm. Like there's a, and just to give you some insight on even why this is such a pressing conversation for me, it's been illuminating uh, over the last almost two years now, been preaching through the book of Revelation. Mm. And I mean, that's a, that's been a task. It's been exciting for me to dive in and like, you know, get a lot of commentaries and a lot of do a lot of study on it because it's not a book to just take lightly. No. <laughs> so I, I've put a lot of work into it and learned a ton. Like I'd I'd had some uh you know, background with it, like in my childhood, that mm -hmm. wasn't super helpful or biblically <laughs> accurate. Um, but then like in, in university, I went to Kingswood where, where you're the president, um, you know, got some of that untangled. But even since then, though, like it's it's been a journey. Anyway, all that to say, there's a long introduction to say. Um, it's been incredible to me, despite 
upwards of 40 sermons of teaching probably at this point in the book of Revelation. Like how much that book has exposed not just biblical illiteracy, but um, an actual gospel understanding that isn't the gospel. Mm. Like, and it's, and it's, it's just jarring to me. And so I want to talk to you about the, just the confusion people have with the Bible. And today you talked about um, like the jigsaw puzzle and that, you know, the, the Bible, there's a, that a lot of us are trying to piece together and you can, you can jump in here, but a lot of us are trying to piece together our understanding of the Bible without the picture, even of what this is all about. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, what to you is like the, the common, like what, what, what went into sort of developing that picture of the jigsaw puzzle People are operating maybe with these little pieces. Maybe they're not even looking at the color side. They're looking at the, the maybe they don't have the box. They're actually looking at a thousand piece puzzle and they're looking at the cardboard side yeah. without the box. You know, what's, what's been your experience? You know, you've been part of the church for many years. Like how have you come to sort of have that, that picture formed and why is that helpful for us? Well, I think that there's several reasons. One is, um, People are not comfortable with books, especially big books, right. especially books that are of the variety mm. of Scripture. And so there's something overwhelming yeah. um, when, you, when you come to Scripture. <clears throat> and, and that right, um, up, right up by your mouth. Yep, something overwhelming when you come to Scripture as if I'm supposed to make sense of all this. Right. Then there's the temptation to take those individual pieces and look at them in ways that really are not of value you can become an expert in that in that little piece, uh, but that's not really the purpose of that piece. And then there are ways of putting this, those pieces together that don't actually get you to the purpose for the Bible. Right. I think the, the Pharisees and their modern cousins are really good at knowing facts about the Bible or knowing the story of the Bible, but... That's why I think it's so central to see Christ as the picture yes. on the cover of the jigsaw puzzle box. Because until you can get everything put together in a way that, that exalts Christ and promotes his life and ministry, you don't have the Bible. Right. You may know lots of facts about the Bible, but you don't have the Bible. So there's really a number of different things that people can do with the Bible that doesn't that isn't helpful. Right. Putting Christ as the as the central character and then showing how the Bible all points to him. Right. Is, I think, solving a lot of those problems. To, so it points to him and the purpose for which he came and what he's accomplished, exactly. kind of putting it in the grand story. So let's, I want to get to the grand story in a minute, like that, that people, let's talk about the picture on the box and that, you know, but back to the, the kind of the disordered, you know, biblical interpretation, biblical literacy, people trying to make sense of right. a huge puzzle. I mean, 66 books. Uh, set in a different context, different culture. Uh, one of the struggles I've had as a pastor has been, you know, you call you call people into this faith, this this life, and obviously the scripture is like the backbone tool that we have for people to be able to experience the life of God, even to hear the voice of the Spirit mm -hmm. that we know speaks in real time. It still confirms the scripture. I have struggled as of late, and I think the, even the. The, the book of revelation ser sermon series has put gas on this fire. It's like, I don't know if I'd ever tell a new Christian, like I, you know, if I led a guy to the Lord on the street and then he's like, what do I do next? I would never tell him, <laughs> 
go read Revelation. Yeah, right. Right? Like I would never, because it would just be a train wreck, like of trying to piece together. But then again, a lot of it's probably like religious baggage that I've got to kind of work through. What, what advice do you have, I guess, for the tension between like, this is a book that's a comprehensive story and the same way you wouldn't like hop into a three hour movie at like some section in it and try to make sense of it all without it in its larger context. Like you wouldn't take one scene out of a movie to mm-hmm. try and try to understand the whole thing. A lot of us in our faith have been introduced to the Bible that way. You know, you, you get one scene, you're told about David and Goliath, or you're told about, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, and you're trying to make sense of right. all of this. And it's like, I guess, speak to me about like managing the tension as believers and as pastors even between like inviting people to the scripture to not be afraid of it. Because I would far rather someone, you know, fumble their way through scripture. To a, to a sense, we all do that, I'm sure. And I think it's maybe spiritual pride at some mm. level to be like, well, you can't read the Bible yet. Yeah. You know, but how do we manage that tension between like, you know, take new believer that was just led to the Lord. On the one hand, I want him in the scripture, but I want him in the scripture the right way. And, I, and there are things to consider when it comes to coming to the scripture that we have it in its appropriate context. Like what, what does someone need to know? like coming to the scripture for the first time, you know, or probably every time after that, like mm-hmm. what, what, what would you say about all that? Like that tension, the, the quote that comes to mind that the Bible is shallow enough for a child to swim and deep enough, a child to wade and deep enough for an elephant to swim. Wow. It's both. Right. There's the perspicuity of scripture that uh, that brand new believer could open even revelation Mm-hmm. and be directed to truths that would be life-edifying and um, soul-enriching in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Right. And this is where I feel like there is uh, what I sometimes call the modernist captivity of the Bible, where, where the Bible has been in the hands of the scholars, right. out of the hands of the Holy Spirit, and really the Holy Spirit has been relieved of all responsibility for, for interpreting the Bible or reading the Bible. Right. All you need is a commentary or, you know, some understanding of history and culture and then, you know, pull the scholar in on the side. As long as the scholar's a Christian, you're good. And I remember thinking, where's the the Holy Spirit? Right. I mean, there's a very popular book. I won't mention the name, but there's a very popular, widely used book on biblical interpretation that leaves about two pages for the role of the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. That struck me as being, there's something wrong with this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think God intends for even that young believer um, to step into any part of Scripture and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit can draw truth from it. Right. The problem is there are, there are cultural differences, and a person who's not um, prepared for those or prepared to deal with those can be taken down the wrong path. Right. And this is where I think that not only should people read in in community with the spirit but they need to read in community with other believers right this is the way it was always intended to yes. be but here again modernist captivity elevating wisdom knowledge yep. as opposed to the work of the spirit mm-hmm. and elevating the individual as opposed to the community yeah could, could we add in that into that that's a hu- that's very helpful is there also an element of because one of the things i've seen a lot as of late, whether it's Christians or non-Christians alike, is taking 
taking like a, a proof texting a part of the Bible, like just pulling it out of context and applying it to something they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So like they're kind of emotionalism, uh, like that, that there's a lot of passion today, but it's not tethered to like the, the holistic truth. So you'll see people, you know, like I, I, I know a famous athlete that's got, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength on his basketball shoe. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, pretty sure that wasn't given so that you'd make a foul shot you know great but there's something richer to that and that's actually not a bad that's not, probably not a great example like i've seen people use maybe the most common is like jesus is love and he loves all people therefore therefore he's going to affirm whatever i do in my life mm-hmm. right like you see that happen and that people attach their passions to a portion of the bible but don't actually yield themselves to the authority of the scripture, yeah. what it's saying in its full context and what the spirit would back up if you would listen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I and think, I think that's a part of the, the, the kind of modernist flavor of uh, individualism, heavily feelings oriented, mm-hmm. anti-authoritarian. Those all factor into what people are doing with the scripture. Now they were eisegeting, reading right. into scripture, you know, for millennia. But, but, but I think now, um, the idea of taking your faith apart and examining it piece by piece, there's value in that so long as you are doing it under the authority of Scripture right? rather than as the authority. Right. And so and, there is the danger there. Yeah, and well, you, you do see that even, like, what, what posture are you coming at this? Like, is it, are you coming, like, there's a, you know, a popular word right now among young people about deconstruction as right. though they're the ones that just discovered deconstruction. It's anyway, I go to podcasts either that's already out or coming out after about that. So, but yeah, like where, where, what's your intent to come at the scripture? Is it to tear it apart and parse it out so that it builds up your, your, you know, your agenda, mm-hmm. or is it that you would have it, you know, I've, I don't know who coined the phrase, but like, it's not, just that we read the scripture, but we allow the scripture to read us, yeah. right? And it, it, it speaks, it speaks to us. Um, you know, th- I think that's a huge tension to manage. So, how would you, how would you encourage someone, like where to start? And when you, when you come to the scripture, you know, when you come to the Bible, like what are, what are, the, what's the right way to come to it? You, t- you talked about the Holy Spirit, talk about in community, but like when we talk about context, mm-hmm. even and the fact that. You know, this isn't like the the words in that book, although they're eternal and timeless, they were written in a time, in a time. Um, you know, how, how would you encourage someone to come at the scripture in its appropriate context instead of just, you know, forget the language you use about like the modern, having a modernist approach to it. Like how, how should someone come at the scripture? Yeah. I, I think... As we've said, central is the is the Holy Spirit in the community. But I think there's also a, a a posture that one comes and says, "I am joining a community of Scripture interpreters, a community of faith hmm. that's been reading the Bible for millennia." Right. And and I'm stepping into that, which means that my perspective is not privileged over theirs. I need to hear their perspective. I'm giving a vote to the dead is I think the way G.K. Chesterton described it. And so when we talk about community, I think we have to broaden it out to be not only the the people in my Bible study or who are my on on my app with me, but but the community of faith as it has read Mm -hmm. the scripture. This has a very um, protective 
in, in the sense that a person can't wander too far afield. Yes. But I think that there is um, a safety in that. In that, then I think there's freedom. And I think this is one of the things that I've learned only way too late, is that there is a freedom for how God wants to speak to me in Scripture. I used to, I used to focus in on what did the author intend to say and then get that as if, it, if, as if that was the last thing that God wanted to say through that mm-hmm. passage of Scripture. And at some point, I ended up with such a withered, dry, wow. spare faith. I, I sometimes joke, although it wasn't a joke, that I had the most impersonal personal relationship with God. Wow. I knew the Bible. I knew facts about the mm-hmm. Bible, but I couldn't tell you the last time I had heard God speak to me. Right. And once I began to go to Scripture and listen for what God wanted to say to me through it, mm-hmm. in that community of believers, there was a freedom. Yeah. And God has been faithful to speak to me since as I have allowed myself to listen in that community and there's, there's, um, there's protection. Yeah. The Venerable Bede was one of the English doctors of the church, um, wrote the history of England, but, but he was a famous, famous, well-known teacher in the medieval church in England, uh, 7th, 8th century. Mm-hmm. And he described scripture as an abyss. Now, that was an arresting thought to me. Wow. Because I, I, was, I was so spare and so um, thin in my mm-hmm. understanding of what Scripture meant, to hear someone describe Scripture as an abyss, as in endless. kind of endless, yeah. you know, bottomless, fathomless, fecund, filled, yeah. with, filled with growth and possibilities. Yeah. It was liberating for me. Wow. Because it was as if the Spirit gave me free reign in the Scriptures to yeah. hear from God while, while paying close attention to the historical context, mm-hmm. but not limiting myself yeah. to the historical context. Do you think, so I'm hearing that and like... I a huge part of me identifies with that because I, I, you know, I'm in a part of a different generation than you. However, I would have been at the late stages. I grew up, grew up in the church, Sunday school, you know, biblical teaching, biblical authority. And I can identify with the, like the impersonal, personal relationship Hmm. with Jesus. I wonder though now, and I'm encountering this a lot Hmm. in our church community or even like, you know, the peripheral community around the church is that, it's, it's actually, it's not impersonal. There's a very personal connection mm. to, you know, the, their faith and how they're expressing it. I don't know if it's accurate hmm. though. And like, there's so, so like you talk about the abyss and I think for anybody coming out of any legalistic, you know, robust Christian upbringing where they, they were given, you know, the forms without the, the fire. Mm-hmm. Right. And they mm-hmm. were given the, you know, the, the pamphlet, but not the person. And that, I, I think that's, that's one pitfall that a lot of people fall into. And like, I mean, you're, you're part of Christian higher education. Like we've all had professors even that, you know, and again, we can pick on anybody, but we've had professors that like could quote you, you know, large sections of the Bible, but like the, the spirit of it's not there. And in fact, if, to compliment you, I had somebody say just after you taught was like, it's so refreshing to hear somebody who believes what they know, you know, mm-hmm. like that they, they, that, that they, there's actually a heart level passion connected to the head knowledge. Anyway, the, the thing I'm confronting though a lot now is it's not actually the, the, the limitless thing that needs to be imparted to the body. It's actually the limits 
that mm. need to be imparted to the body. That there's there's people that feel as though, yeah, the scripture is this abyss, and how dare you tell me that there are borders, mm. and how dare you tell me there are foundations that can't be moved and like that that mm -hmm. the rigidity of the scripture and i feel like and maybe it's just maybe it's just a season that i'm in but I'm, I'm constantly drawn to to people who are being maybe led astray even by false doctrine and like you know I, i've talked to a lot of pastors especially in the during the pandemic that the urgency of orthodoxy right now is so huge and I just, um, I don't even have a question in there other than like, I guess back to that tension of, you know, maybe, maybe the, the advice is to the one that has an impersonal, personal relationship with Jesus is to find the freedom yeah. in the scripture. But is there, is there also a, an equal and opposite, maybe a paradoxical invitation in the scripture to find actually the limits mm. and the forms of your relationship with God and that yeah. surrender. Yeah. Oh, that's a great insight. I'm reminded of Jesus' words to the woman at the well, that it's spirit and truth. Yes, right. And we've been talking about spirit and community. As Protestants, we don't do well with this, that community, the mother church. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not comfortable with that. Right. But I think if we divorce ourselves from community in the sense of not just people who think like me, but people who think very differently than mm. me, people who will disagree with me, people who will question whether I've got it right at all. You know, I think there's the issue. You, you've got somebody that's very comfortable talking about what the Spirit showed them, right. but they're not reading it in community. Yes. And I don't just mean the people on their app. Mm -hmm. yes. Are they listening to that's the dead? Important. Right. Are, are, they, are they understanding how Scripture has spoken through the years? This is why I've come to really embrace a creedal understanding of Christianity, right. a big big C church yep. and, and um, recognizing that's a crucial part of mm -hmm. understanding the Bible correctly. Yep. I remember reading, actually this goes back to Bede again. I had been teaching introduction to the, uh, how to study the Bible for years yep. at uh, college, not at Kingswood, the other college I used to work at. <clears throat> and I'd been talking to people about, you know, reading it in historical context and being very careful not to get these other meanings out of it. It's just scripture means what the what the original author intended for it to say. Full right. stop. Yeah. No more, no less. No more, no less. And then I got to Durham, England, and I went into into the cathedral in Durham, England. Yeah. And I had this moment. That's where the venerable Bede is buried. Oh wow. And and Bede has this whole abyss idea, yeah. multiple meanings of scripture, you know, allegorical and spiritual and all the different, like fourfold, yeah. you've heard of those. Yeah. So this is the way you read the Bible in the medieval period. And, and I remember going in there and being confronted by Bede. It was as if he rose up out of the grave and said, how dare you, you yeah. arrogant yes. prig. You're telling people that the only way to read the Bible is the way you read the Bible? Yeah. As if none of the rest of us ever got it right. It was Man. really, a, it was really a castigating moment, but it was crucial for me because wow. until I could, what I realized was until I could come up with a way of explaining how to interpret Scripture, which gave appropriate credit to the varieties of ways that Scripture has been read through the history of Christianity, right. I didn't have it. Wow. What a word for today, though. Like, should we, I think maybe we, if the church of the 21st century could all get on a tour bus and go to the <laughs> Cathedral of Durham mm. and, and let that speak to us. So what was the Chesterton quote you said about, like, let, re reading with the dead? Giving so, a vote to the dead. Giving a vote to the dead. I think it was dead. Chesterton who said that. 
that i mean is there a better like what's what's the word like I, could we be doing that less right now mm. you know i've mm. had somebody recently ask me like what are you reading these days and i said dead guys is <laughs> basically what i said yep. like i just i'm so sick of the immediacy of opinions and like i think it was carrie newhoff that said like we live in an age of strongly held p- opinions that are weakly formed yeah. right and and i i think that's such a huge piece is putting it part of context for the bible isn't just like cultural it is communal and it is that and you actually i'm going to jump ahead a little bit because i wanted to talk about this so let's just go there now you talked about even god's ability through scripture to meet human beings where they're at in that place in time like you'd, you'd use the analogy even of a uh, god as a kindergarten teacher he didn't come to you with 12th grade algebra when you are six, six years old, like my son, Alex, yeah. you know, he comes to you where you're at and I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but like the, uh, the idea, I guess, of the, the historical context of the Bible is such a missing piece, I think, for the present day believer, the average believer that I'm encountering a lot is very much um, siloed in the echo chamber of their opinion that's reinforced all day long on their device, social media, you know, Google, it's all engineered to reinforce what you already think. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to submit yourself to outside opinions. Even community isn't actually community now because it's, it's, it's tribes. It's, and it's divided into, these little echo chambers. Of, We're not giving a vote to the dead. Right. We're not even giving a vote to the living unless we already agree with them and they with us. Wow. Exactly. That's exactly right. So a huge piece, I guess, is when we come to the scripture, <laughs> come, come with the whole, the whole community that, and that is exactly what you said about being stunned in the cathedral about just the arrogance, I guess, of, that we've got this figured out, mm-hmm. that we're smarter than, um, you know, generations of Christians that do we get, do you f- think we get like this, this has got to be a problem for every generation though. Every generation thinks that they've, they've arrived like that. They've, mm-hmm. we know things that Tozer and Chesterton yeah. and Lewis and bead and, you know, like all throughout the, they, they didn't know, yeah. you know, you know, that's got to be a huge problem. But when it comes to, so, so coming to it communally like that, how else should we approach the scripture? Like in its context, like what, what, how else should someone, when they come to the, to the scripture, what else should be forming their posture, I guess? Well, the word humility mm. comes to mind. I mean, there is a, there is a posture uh, that we come with to scripture and that is to let it read us mm-hmm. and not just read it as you as you yeah. pointed out um so what that presumes is that i'm not coming for um something that affirms what i already believe i am coming genuinely as a learner right. i'm coming as someone who needs to know and i'm coming to the source of knowledge which means i'm coming to an authority and i think there's a huge challenge for people submitting themselves bending the knee yeah to any authority other than themselves and it might seem like well i'm just submitting to a book that's dead or i'm submitting to a community Mm. that's old and and but there is a posture that one has to 
bring to scripture yeah. or else you're never going to hear it. And it's, it's, this shouldn't come as any surprise. Right. I mean, I've taught students who were incredibly intelligent, but they didn't learn. Hmm. And that's because they didn't come as learners. Right. And so it's very difficult to teach a person anything unless they're willing to be taught. The heart. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Do you think um, there's there's a, there's a question I wanted to jump off with that specifically? Oh shoot, I'm having a I'm having a Joe Biden moment here, you know, and the other, and the other, the other things there. You know, anyway, um, it was the uh, oh yeah. So so back to the the humility piece. Um, you know, when it comes to appropriate uh, approaching the scripture, when when we try to understand it in its, in its actual you know cultural context. What, I guess, how, how deep into, you know, that historical understanding of context do we need to go, like, before we can actually have, like, I think part of humility is realizing, okay, I don't necessarily understand the context here. I don't necessarily, you know, get everything that's mm -hmm. going on here. Like, what what is the healthy, I guess road to journey down when it comes to approaching the scripture on getting context like when is it time for commentaries and to get the extra biblical picture i guess to mm -hmm. be framing in what what it is we're seeing like what let me respond in two different ways one would be with a picture when you and i go to israel uh in the spring yes we will go across sites archaeological tells um ancient cities that have been buried under centuries of, mm -hmm. of ruin and, and occasionally because of the way the soil works you will notice that there are pieces of pottery ancient pieces of pottery they're just right up on the surface i remember being on i think it was tel Azeka, not far from where David fought Goliath. And we were walking up there with a group of people and a girl looks down and she picks up from the ground a little figurine, clay figurine. It would have been a, like an Asherah or whatever, yeah. um, a little like goddess. An idol. Yeah. Yeah. I picks, oh, I was kicking myself. Why wasn't I looking <laughs> down, you know? <clears throat> I want the idol. So what I'm saying is, okay, forget the idol. That wasn't a good example. But, but there are, scripture is such that there is plenty on the surface yeah. for a person to pick up, even if they don't dig. Right. But those who dig mm. are exposing new treasures, new insights, new awareness of what all this passage. So this is what I've discovered is if you, no matter how much historical context you have, you're going to get something. The more yeah. historical context, the more you're going to get. Yeah. So there's a motivation to dig as far as you can. We can't all do that. Right. And so the other answer I would give is uh, what I counsel people is get a good study Bible. Right. I mean, at least read with a good study Bible yeah. because there are there are notes, explanatory notes in there. It's yeah. kind of a the very best of the commentary. Yeah, in just there. some guardrails even to exactly. kind of keep you out of the ditch. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of, I'm excited about for for those who are listening. I'm, I'm going to be going to Israel with Dr. Lennox and a group. I'm I'm pumped for that. I can't even wait. I've never been. Hmm. Uh, funny, interesting. Actually, I was in a I was in California a few weeks ago, and uh, I had a guy. I was in a church service. A guy come up to me never met him before and he's like i have a word for you mm. and i was like okay go for it and he goes you're going to israel soon mm. and i was like Fun. yes i am <laughs> and, and he said and he said uh you know god's got god's got uh you're tied to that land in a way mm. that you don't realize and, and he wants you to know that before you go anyway mm. it was very mm. you know have a whole have a complete stranger come up and tell you something that you know you're going to be doing in a mm. few months is pretty pretty stunning but yeah, i can't wait we should have we should do a a post-Israel podcast yeah, and, and yeah. talk talk about 
you know, debrief some of the stuff oh, that, that'd be fun. that would be fun. Yeah. So, so, okay, let's, let's zoom in and we'll start to come in for a little more clarity here. So when it comes to what are like the, you don't have to dig, there's stuff, there's stuff everywhere for anybody to find. I guess what, what do you, what does someone need to at least know to know that you're even in the area of there's stuff to find here, yep. if that yep. makes sense. Like, let's talk about the big picture. Talk about, you know, how do we, how do we bare bone basic approach the scripture in a way that's going to lead itself to discovering God and, you know, the God of the Bible. Yep. And the good news is it's common sense. It's applying the same rules to reading the Bible that you apply to any other text. Okay. So literary context. Don't take a person out of their literary context mm-hmm. or their historical context even. I mean, pick your passage where it begins and ends. The scripture right. is kind of like a Hershey bar. It's got mm-hmm. these score marks on it, right. and you eat a, a piece at a time. Right. And, I mean, that's just common sense. Uh, read it in its historical context to the extent that you can understand it. That We just know that's the way we do things. Yeah. Um, read it according to what you can learn about God. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a real complicated issue. In fact, I've taught it to, to kids the age of your oldest, too. Yeah. Um, and they got it. What does this tell me about God? Right. And so we talk today about God as king, yeah. but not the king like we might ordinarily think of them, the right. king like an African tribal chief, and God is like a you know, a kindergarten teacher. Yeah. Every passage of Scripture tells us something about the character of God. Right. And it's, it's something he does, something he doesn't do, something he says, something he doesn't say, something reliable people say about him. I mean, it's not a complicated question. Yeah. It just makes sense to ask it since this is God's word. What is God's plan? Right. What's revealed about God's plan in this passage? If you start from the assumption that we need to start with, since it's where Jesus started, all this is about me. Yeah. Then the question is, what can I learn about God's plan of redemption, yeah. of reconciliation from this passage? Right. So there's just common sense basic questions that you can start with, and it's amazing how much insight one can get from any passage yeah. of Scripture. I, when I teach on how to study the Bible, I take people to Leviticus. I figure, <laughs> hey, if you can find something about the character there. of God. <laughs> it's like, and people are pulling out attributes of God's character, his interest in the, in the weak mm-hmm. and the poor, and the fact that God doesn't have a single standard for forgiveness in the Old Testament. It's a sliding scale, and right. you bring what you can afford to bring, and God will forgive your sin. Right. Well, that's grace. That talks about God's grace and God's mercy. So so many, so many insights we can get about God's character, and anybody can get those. Yeah. So the common sense piece is huge. One thing I found, though, is that common sense isn't as common as... We, <laughs> as, as we want it to be at times, and True. like you do see, you do see like people getting themselves into some real scriptural trouble. You know, like just very much misapplying it and taking it out, like completely the wrong way. Even like, like what, what gets us into trouble? Like if if lacking common sense is the problem, then like maybe if we start at like what are some of the common pitfalls? I guess when it mm. comes to scripture and how mm. we approach it, like mm. what are what are some of the things you run into? You're like, ah, there's probably where you, you know, you've got the Westboro Baptist person out here quoting a, quoting a scripture and using it to, to oppress somebody. Right. Right. Like, well, clearly you've missed a major theme of scripture to appropriate that text in that way. Yeah. 
you know, so what, what are some of the ways I guess that we just, we get way off balance and if not righted, it's just going to run itself way down the road. Well, I think a failure to see scripture as really revealing the character of Jesus mm. and, and his centrality in the, in God's plan. You know, the person who takes a particular passage of scripture over every other passage of scripture is clearly not reading this as a whole. Right. They're reading a part and taking the part for the whole. Yeah. Well, the problem is they don't understand the purpose of Scripture, which mm-hmm. is to reveal God's plan. So, and there are dangers. And of course, there's the danger of the person who, who uh, uh, Shakespeare said this in The Merchant of Venice, that uh, the devil can quote Scripture right. for his purpose. Yes. Um, and then there's a, a, a quote from the Middle Ages, which talks about Scripture being a nose of wax that you can shape right. any way you want to shape it. So this isn't a new problem. Yeah. This is the problem of, of any person or generation that seeks to make God say what they want him to say. Um, But the generation that's submitted to the the Holy Spirit, that's under the authority, that's a part of this community, you use the the term guardrails to refer to what a study Bible does. It's interesting that study Bibles are a relatively recent phenomenon. Hmm. The very first one probably was the Bible that Martin Luther prepared. Right. And I've seen that that Bible, and there are marginal notes in that Bible. But marginal notes were were a novelty hmm. with Luther, and at that time, yep. reason being is because the church provided the framework okay. in which one read Scripture, and you read what was in the text in light of what the church everywhere and always believed. Hmm. Since Luther, study Bibles have been a fairly common phenomenon, right? and have been very directive in how people read Scripture. So the Bible that was used, the Geneva Bible that was used by the Puritans when they came to uh, the American colonies, was very clear on the new Israel, right? so that the colonists could see themselves as the new Israel. Mm -hmm. It was the study Bible that kind of directed them. Okay. And then we lose the marginal notes with the King James Bible, and it comes back again as Scripture becomes a little bit harder for people to understand. Right. Um, and then you have all kinds of study Bibles emerging. And now we have to use a study Bible because yeah. we need somebody to protect us. But I would suggest, Brent, that it has something to do with losing that community. Right. With our failure to read in light of what the church has everywhere and always believed. I Correct, correct me where I'm wrong on this. I've, I've had a thought, you know, it's probably developed over the last year and a half with the whole revelation thing. And there's probably no book in the Bible that's more misunderstood or misapplied than like even the fact that the English word apocalypse doesn't mean what the Greek word apocalypsis means, mm. right? Like when we say it's apocalyptic out there, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, it means cat- catastrophe. And that's not, it means unveiling yeah. is what it means. You're supposed to see Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. Like that's the whole point of the book. And, I, and there's so many like just deeply uh, wrong, I think, uh, applications mm-hmm. of the scripture. I mean, I've had, I've had people, you know, freaking out about the mark of the beast right now with the vaccine mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. You know, and completely isolating that one that one text, and I think it's in chapter twelve, where it talks about the mark and and like, but missing the fact that in a reverse way, you know, there there's all kinds of ways in which the you know the the powers of this world try to get us to you know 
or that our minds and our strength would be occupied by. Anyway, I've had the thought over the last year and a half, like uh, we live in a really uh, interesting and exciting time in that we are able through information and travel to be able to connect the scripture to its original communal context, probably better than, and I don't want to be arrogant here, like, cause I, I don't want to fall into that error, but we're actually able to access the voice of the church in the ages, but also reconnect it to Israel, to the story of Israel, to the Jewish context that it came up in. And because, because of modern archeology, span because of, you know, international connectivity, mm-hmm. there is a richness we're getting out of the scripture now. If we'll, if, if you'll put the time in to like really go there that I don't know if even in Luther's day, they could have had like, has had Luther ever actually like the, the tour that we're going to go on in Israel, like Martin Luther probably wouldn't get to do something like that. Right. And like, so the, the advantages that we have now, and I just was thinking like to, to kind of have grace, I guess, for, you know, you go back through Christian history and you see ways where the scripture was misapplied into, you know, even atrocities um, to justify things that if you just looked at the scripture in its full context, you'd call sin, mm-hmm. you know, whether that is oppression, whether that is, you know, the, the crusade, the, all the black marks of the church, even mm-hmm. over the years. And you just wonder if that's a lot like the, the, the fruit of divorcing the scripture from its true context and the, grand story that it's trying to tell mm. like once we isolate a piece of the scripture we can like you said like the, the candle mold it into what we want to serve our purposes what to you is and i know i know the picture on the box is jesus but like how do we let that framework be the guardrails even for us because we're not we're not we all don't have logos scripture we're not all going to go on a trip in israel mm-hmm. like how can someone safely not just safely, but like, like in a powerful, healthy way, read the Bible. If they keep what, what do they need to keep in mind? Mm. You know, while they're doing that. Well, in addition to the things we've talked about, I'm reminded of David Thompson, who taught for years at Asbury. Um, his little book, Bible Study That Works, and he talks about reading all Scripture in light of Jesus. And I think what he meant by that was. Running your interpretations by Jesus. Yes. You know, how, yeah. how, would yeah. he, how would he take the Westboro Baptist right. approach? Uh, what would he do with that? Yeah. Um, is this the kind of interpretation that Jesus would be comfortable with, right. in, given, his, given what we know about him? I mean, he knew God best. Mm-hmm. He loved humans best. Yeah. He took a strong stand and called a spade a spade. Yeah. But... People loved him and came to him, even if they were sinners. There's a there's a quality about Jesus that I think letting Jesus judge, I right. think, is the way he described it. <clears throat> so I think it isn't just well, how does this fit? You know, how does this prophesy to Jesus, or how does Jesus' mm-hmm. life fulfill this prophecy? Um, it's also letting Jesus be the judge of our interpretations, right. and would he be comfortable with them? Yeah, that's uh, like like to to almost filter everything through the lens of the person, the person of Jesus, which you can't divorce from the, 
the work of Jesus, right? Like the, the, right. the gospel itself, right? You know, as and I was, I don't, I don't know if it was in the conversation before the podcast or we we're talking about this, but I've been thinking about just this, the need for gospel like fluency, mm-hmm. right? That people just and I was talking to you about want to sit down with my kids and really give them a a bit of a richer understanding, even mm-hmm. though I want them to say like, Jesus loves me this. I know for the Bible tells me so like, I want that simple faith to never leave, but I want them to have the rich. No, I know, I know what, you know, the gospel actually is and what you're telling me here is anti-gospel, mm-hmm. right? Like what, what to you, if you were to explain the grand story and the gospel in a few minutes to somebody, and that that became the lens through which not only they led they read scripture but they lived their lives. Mm. You know, what are the essentials? Like, what does someone need to to know about the good news of the kingdom in the person of Jesus? Well, as we talked about this morning, it starts with what I was made for, what every human was made for, which which was is relationship with God first and foremost, mm-hmm. but then also relationship with others, relationship with myself and with the world. That that's broken. Um, I could have elaborated this morning to say that the relationship between humans and God is entirely broken in sin. In other words, there's no way that I, that I can make myself right enough with God right. to be justified. The other relationships continue, but they end up being self-serving. Mm-hmm. So I love others for my sake. Mm-hmm. I love myself for the wrong reasons. Yep. Um, I love others. I love the world for what I can get from right. it. Um, that's what sin did to those other three relationships. But every so human, when the when the t- when the vertical relationships off, you start to look to the kind of the horizontal ones to to meet the needs that God exactly. was. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Luther talked about us being turned in on ourselves. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and Scripture, I think, is about how God seeks to solve that problem of alienation right, and uh, does so by reconciling us to himself so that these other relationships can be restored. Right. And salvation is really the restoration of all four relationships, and sanctification is the process by which God restores these relationships, right. which means that whatever I can be doing in my daily life to see a reconciliation occur in any of those relationships can be a part of my sanctification. Right which will eventually help me in my relationship with God, which mm-hmm. is the central relationship. And so as I look through Scripture, I see God preparing for Jesus, Jesus accomplishing through his life and death and resurrection what needed to happen yep. in order for that reconciliation to be made available, the Spirit coming to broadcast that, to spread it out and fulfill God's plan yes. in the lives of uh, people, and Revelation anticipating what that's going to look like when it's all done, but yep. also as I said this morning, setting us up to be people who are pursuing the end that Revelation offers. Yes. So I, wh- one of the things I've encountered, and I, I encountered this in my own journey, uh, I think I, uh, probably maybe 10 years ago I read um, King Jesus Gospel, Scott McKnight, hmm. and in it he talked about how at least for, for uh, a lot of years in the West, the gospel has been a gospel of what he called like soteriology, basically of a gospel of salvation. Mm-hmm. But when we use the word salvation, it's really just about, rest- it's pretty much just restoring relationship with God. And we don't really talk about the kingdom's establishment in every other relationship on the earth with one another, with, with the kingdom of God inhabiting the earth and, mm-hmm. and being expanding forever and ever and ever. 
we have this kind of narrow view of the gospel that it's really like, you know, Jesus came, he died to make me right with God so that when I die someday I go to heaven. And it, and it feels like uh, we're, we're reaping the fruit of a gospel that's not good enough. It's not, it's not it's too small. It's not the gospel of the Bible. Like the gospel of the Bible is much more all-encompassing. Yep. It's, it's yep. good news. It's not just, and that's for me growing up, like the gospel wasn't, good news it was just better news than going to hell uh, right to <laughs> like, say it, yeah. it wasn't that good a news uh, but there's i've been on a journey and I, I i feel like the lord is even shaking the church right now in such a way that we're gonna have to rediscover the wholeness of the gospel that no mm-hmm. no jesus came to write our relationship with god and restore that connection to him that we could never do for ourselves and in that flows the reality of the kingdom to reset the purposes of God in all of creation, Mm -hmm. you know, and what are, what are maybe some, some ways in which, you know, a lot of people maybe have the gospel, they've they've sold the the goodness of the gospel short by isolating maybe one particular aspect. Mm. Well, I think the, the person who claims to be a good Christian and, continues to hold prejudice mm. against another person or continues to mistreat those around him or her. I think the Christian who um, tries to live their life for God while at the same time uh, having wounds within their own spirit that are just draining away right. their relationship with God. Those two things are inextricable. Well, actually all four are inextricable, mm. but I saw this as I was working with college students um, at Indiana Wesleyan, you know, there's emotional immaturity, but that bleeds over into a spiritual immaturity and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, and so does interpersonal immaturity and alienation. They're all connected. So to the extent that a person can get the full gospel, the whole gospel for the whole person, for the whole yes. world, I think is what God intended. Right. And, and we are way too narrow in yeah. our understanding of what salvation involves. And I think that's a... Um, I think that's a byproduct of the Reformation, where everything focused on, on justification by faith, yes. and everything focused on Paul's understanding of justification by faith. Right. And so Protestantism tended to be a very Pauline-focused, very soteriologically focused, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until the movement of the Spirit through uh, the Pentecostal movement right. that we began to say, oh, there is a Spirit, there's a third yes. member of the Trinity, and we need to factor that in. But, but God has been faithful to lead us to a place where we understand a little bit more about what he's trying to do yeah. and how, what he gave us to do it with. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, 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 that's my, my heart and my hope. And I felt, I felt the Lord, even I look at the preaching that I've done in the last couple of years, even within the Revelation series, but beyond that, it's just like, I think the heart of God for the church in the West right now is to rediscover the totality of the gospel in like that it's, it's meant to change. It changes everything, mm-hmm. not just your 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 afterlife. Mm-hmm. The gospel changes everything, you know, and and it's and it's happening in real time, you know. It, the kingdom is unfolding in real time. It's mm-hmm. not just something that's going to happen someday. It'll come in its fullness, but it's already happening in our own transformation, transforming relationships. There's aspects of the kingdom that are coming and can come right this second, mm-hmm. and it's uh it's a it's a beautiful thing to see people. And I think God is doing that in the church. I'm seeing that in my own church, like mm-hmm. people shifting into a level of vitality in their faith that they didn't have mm-hmm. when it was just a transactional thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not just a transaction. It's about like whole transformation mm-hmm. of being. But well, as we're as we're kind of landing the plane, 
Um, one of the last thing I wanted to sort of talk to you about is, you know, I, I don't know if you read the book, little book, uh, Tim Keller just put out. It's like an ebook actually. It's called how to reach the West again. It's really worth to take you an hour. It's mm. like, it's, it's not very long. And he's in it. He talks about the challenge today is, you know, if you go back 20, 30, 40 years ago, the average person had a basic, you know, theology that you could work with, right? Their theology was there is a God and they believed some about Jesus even. It was just sort of the job of an evangelist or job of reaching the mm -hmm. West is answering their question and connecting the dot, the missing pieces. And that was kind of evangelism. So apologetics were, you know, just sort of approaching it that way. He said, now though, what, we're, what we have to do is actually question people's answers mm. and that people have already stopped the conversation and they've believed certain things about God and they're not having the dialogue anymore. They're not seeking. They think they've found. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the big problem of our mm. day is to sort of take out the answers at the knees that they mm. have, mm. like that, that don't hold up um, specific to the scripture. You know, what are maybe some common assumptions that maybe some of my people might have, or maybe more so in their relationships, like hangups that people have with the scripture, mm. with the Bible that like, they've already determined, you know, this is irrelevant or this is like, what are maybe some of the main big, you know, hangups that the average Canadian or American would have today? Like your, your average millennial that's not a Christian, they've written off the Bible. Why have they written off the Bible and why should they reconsider? Mm. Well, likely they haven't read it. <laughs> that's, that's and so um, yep. I think that would be a very real good suggestion yep. for somebody to make. You know, how can you write this off if you've never read it? You don't know what it says. Um, but if they have read it, there are likely some stumbling blocks. Um, I think the uh, conquest of Canaan, what some yes. people call the genocide. Yep. I, it wasn't a genocide, but some people call it that. Uh, that, I think, is one of the significant stumbling blocks. Um, but I think at, at a deeper level, there is a, a reluctance to submit to the authority of what is perceived as being um, no longer relevant. Mm. And I think the challenge would be, well, then what authority are you submitting yes. to? Um, because they're submitting to one. Yeah. And I, I, I think um, just reminding people that the authority that they're submitting to is likely an authority of one. Yes. And if you're given the choice between submitting to an authority that has been tested by time yep. and uh, thoroughly examined and scrutinized mm. for millennia and remains a valuable source of answers for life's most pressing questions. Who am I? Where do I, where do I come from? Where am I going? How do I know right from wrong? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? I mean, everybody's asking those questions. And one could be challenged just to say, you know, what are the answers you're getting? Yeah. What are the ones you're coming up with? Let's yeah. measure them against the ones the Bible comes up with. Yeah. I think uh, Lewis, I love this quote from Lewis. He said, and I'm paraphrasing now, it's not a direct quote, but I believe in the sun, not just because I can see it, but yes. because by it, I see everything else. Yes. And I think that's a challenge for, for the person who's already arrived at the answers. Well, let's examine the answers. Yeah. Yeah. And let's examine where your authority lies. Yeah. How do you, so, mm -hmm. so you're, you're, you, you give that explanation to me, but I'm, I'm Johnny Doubter. And I say, well, yeah, I just can't, I can't reconcile the God of the old Testament. I can't follow. Like, 
talk about the genocide. Like what, how do you help somebody over maybe some of those hurdles in, in a fairly quick way? Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a quick way to say, well, let me explain to you why that, you know, the sacrificial system in Leviticus isn't as archaic as you think, or why the, the conquest of Canaan isn't as uh, vindictive as you think. Like, mm-hmm. how do you help somebody over maybe some of those those hurdles in the scripture? Well, the question is, first, do they want to be helped? Because a lot of these things right. are just cover yes. to, avoid oh, the, to avoid the issue. And you know that in your spirit. If you're yeah. talking to a person who has a genuine hunger to know, yes. they're easy to work with. If you have a person who has a genuine hunger not to know, it's very difficult to convince them no matter what you say. But I think for the person who just genuinely wants to understand how they can love a God yes. that treats the Canaanites this way is to take them back into this God who starts with people where they are and right. always works with people where they are to get them to where he wants them to be. I mean, I've studied this whole Canaanite thing. Uh, you know, in my commentary on Genesis, or Joshua, I, I try to deal with how this is very appropriate. It's not pleasant to read. I don't yeah. enjoy reading yeah. it. But if I were reading it as a... As a um, first millennia um, Jew mm-hmm. or even a Canaanite, yeah. it would make sense. Right. You know, there are factors in the culture that make this treatment of the Canaanites a, the perfect way and this description of it very appropriate, yeah. which I won't get into now. Yeah. Re- read my commentary on Joshua. Yeah. But, but the person who really wants to know, there are ways of helping them to walk That's past huge. these things. Yeah. And um, yeah. not that all these things can be answered. And I think that... that yeah. I think you've talked before about coming to accept the fact that some things just can't be known and fully understood. Yeah. And, and yeah. it takes humility to say, well, I'll put that on the shelf yeah. of things that I will try to understand at some point in the future. That, that kindergarten teacher analogy is really helpful. <clears throat> right. uh, I'd not put it, I'd not thought of it that way before, but I have thought about like, it, it, it's helpful for people. And maybe we'll, I'll throw this in that, you know, if you view the old Testament after, you know, Genesis 11, basically, once you kind of get into the call of Abraham, if you view all of that as God's uh, redemptive plan beginning to unfold in real time, and ultimately being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So every everything that's happening that you're going to encounter is a step in that sequence. Right. Don't judge. Don't judge that step based on where we are at or even like post Christ, right? Like to see it in its proper. So you take like Abraham and Isaac, right? And like the call to sacrifice your son, like why would God ever say such a thing? Well, in there, in that wedge of time, right? Like people were sacrificing their kids. That's how you got the gods on your side. And if you isolate it and look at it, you're actually going to see the invitation of God in that moment was a step forward toward the full revelation of Absolutely. and you see that over and over again in Joshua in David like there it's all this sequence unfolding and I think it's helpful if people if you can just at least allow the cross allow Christ to be this sort of gravitational thing that's pulling the whole the whole of the Old Testament forward to itself you can it doesn't answer all your questions. And there are times where you read commandments like leave none alive, you know, mm-hmm. and you're, it jars your modern, absolutely, you know, but like it's important that you put it where it was at that time. Don't take, don't take the conquest of Canaan and think about it in terms of, you know, the conquest of Sussex, right? Like right. that God came and commanded us to right. go and 
just get you know get rid of all <laughs> all the anti-vaxxers or something right? right like it's just uh that gets us into big trouble i yep. think yep. is yeah reading into something that's out of its proper time which I is it, i mean it's very common these days to judge people in the past by standards they had no idea even existed even months ago yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and and what i think is this is an indication of a kind of presentism i think is the term that cs lewis yes. would said which is that we have arrived at the fullness of truth mm-hmm. and pity all the poor fools who didn't know what we know yeah. which is a, a kind of arrogance yeah. that's hard to fathom yeah. the irony of of the person who criticizes who winces mm-hmm. at the at those passages and then condemns them is the very reason they're wincing is because Christianity has won to this point in wow. convincing people of how humans have value. All humans have value. Even the enemy has value. That's a Christian you, value. That is incre- That is so, so well said. Uh, Producer Ron, you need to chop that out and play that. But <laughs> that, that is, such, is a modern arrogance, though, isn't it? That, you know, even a lot of the, the culture wars that are happening now, I mean, you are criticizing and sawing the limb off that you're sitting on (laughs) that like is a luxury that you can have this conversation that you know and again like yeah because christianity has won thus far like you know even america for all its faults and canada and the western world like there's obviously it's not perfect and there are real things that need to be untangled and dealt with but a lot of the things that are being criticized are actually some of the beautiful things Mm. that have come out of christianity like you said the value of in like the, the you know the god image in people like that's a christian idea yeah. you know uh equality is a christian idea justice that's our thing you know, you know? Yeah, so yeah. uh that's amazing dr lennox this has been super uh i could talk to you all day yeah. i know you've been going all morning so i don't i'm not going to take any more of your time but thank you so much this has oh. been a lot of fun and very helpful my privilege appreciate the opportunity brent thanks for what you're doing yeah, and thanks. kudos to you for preaching on the book of revelation <laughs> but that yeah. tells me that tells me that you have a heart for your people and a willingness to take step into the deep end of the pool on their behalf yeah that's the only book in the bible that has a blessing yeah on those who read it yep and i think you are after the blessing for the people of king's church and i think god is blessing you for your commitment to that thank so you thank you amen and i've thought that many times i've had our people throughout it let's read this out loud and get that triple blessing like blessed <laughs> is the one who reads hears and obeys mm. this so let's yeah. do it yeah so, yeah thank you sir Hey, thanks again for tuning in today, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I loved talking with Steve. He had so much wisdom. I hope you caught some of those gems he laid down. There's just so good to hear. Hey, as always, thanks so much for joining us. If you haven't left a review, I'd sure appreciate it if you did. Maybe let somebody else know about the podcast if you've been enjoying it. Help us get the word out to more people, and we will see you next time.